We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? Welcome into your Wednesday mailbag. We have a lot of questions, a lot of things to get to, and we're going to get to them. We're going to have Andrew Spade here as usual. And it starts off, though, Andrew, with a little bit of conversation around just things. It's a quiet day. Tuesdays are always pretty quiet. There's not a ton of stuff happening. Neither neither team is usually in talking, except for Tomlin gave some some quotes we'll talk about here in just, just a second. But the biggest thing on the Brown side that came out today, other than some cool video work of uh, Shelby Harris visiting a local school and serving as a honorary principal at Bluestone Elementary. And uh, you could see that on the Brown social media sites. And then we got a little NFL uh, films feels from the Okoronkwo um, tipped interception. And then yeah. it was pretty cool to watch him kind of doing what everybody else does in Brown's realm, which is I just can't watch the field goal moment there as it was going through. Yeah. So those two things are out there, but uh, we found out today, but go ahead, man. I, I was, I was just a little surprised. Shelby Harris really, uh, exercising his power he suspended like a half dozen kids i thought you know like he went went mad with power as principal I, you know that's yeah you seems know. a little bit out of bounds you get the authority and all of a sudden right yeah know. he just starts he just starts handing out bands and you know kids are chewing gum and he's <laughs> sending them to the office it's just like all right dude this is mostly honorary you know and I, I, he's got to learn he's got to get better from it that's all we can we yeah can imagine. that's true his, yeah his next first, next year when he comes back first yeah, taste of experience see. speaking of which we do have a question on some of these one-year defensive tackles we'll get to. Uh, the other thing was Kyle Brand. If you're into that kind of guy, um, he's big <laughs> into this bit on angry runs, and uh, it's oh, all over man. NFL Network. It's uh, you know, it's not my thing, but it is cool to see David and Joku's yards after catch and plowing yeah. people over and being difficult to tackle. That getting some some public notoriety. So that that's cool, and it, it does seem to be catching steam across you know the various kind of one foot in, one foot out coverage of the Cleveland Browns nationally. And Joku <laughs> seems to be getting a little respect. So. You know, you like to see that. It is uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson's birthday today. And then the only other thing was Nick Chubb. We heard about his second knee surgery. So a part of the first uh, surgery was getting a lot of the surrounding ligaments and some of the other situations solved. And then they went in today and fixed the ACL. So that is, you know, November 14th. It's a little later than I think all of us would have hoped, but it does seem to be that they will have him back at some point in the 2024 season. I mean, we're watching like, I know this is a more severe injury, 
than Taki Taki, obviously, but like we're watching guys come back from ACLs in like eight months, nine months. So I think Nick will be back. I mean, I know there's a lot of people who would try to say to the contrary that maybe he misses all of 24, but like he's going to play. I think he's going to come back and play. Whether he's the Nick that we all know is to be determined, but I would presume he's out there and playing at some point, probably not the start of the season, Andrew, but at some point he's out there, out there playing football for the Browns next year. And, and, you know, maybe there's some contract, maneuvering i don't know i i find it hard to believe that they would want to just sort of yank money away from a guy who's done everything for them but uh, it's certainly possible but i just find that hard to believe but nonetheless good to hear nick's second surgery was successful and that there's a real chance he's back next year yeah i mean it, it's it seems like all good news um so i was just trying to look up when kyler murray tore his acl i believe it was week 11 last year uh, if I, if I'm reading this correctly, uh, week 11 or 12, somewhere around there. Um, and obviously he just came back this past weekend and, and seemed to be at pretty much full speed. So, um, you know, if, if you're thinking about trying to compare that to where Nick Chubb is, I, I think that's probably more apples to apples than, you know, like a linebacker, but that feels to me, that feels like, you know, uh, so for that, it's more like a year. So I guess that, and then you give it the Chubb boost, right. For being you know, a sort of superhuman athlete and, and, uh, you know, having the best work ethic, ethic of any NFL player probably since JJ Watt. And so you probably figure that that takes a month or two off. So, well, you know, it's going to hit over the summer at some point, there's going to be a video of him running. Oh, absolutely. It's going to get yeah everybody yeah. really fired up. So we look forward to that. Yeah. Nick. So I'm thinking, you know, just ballparking it here between you and I, this is nobody's listening to this, obviously, uh, late September, early October. Yeah. I think that's fair. Uh, like I said, the variance of what he looks like, don't know, but I do think he right. will be back. So take that yeah. for what it's worth. Very confident. The Tomlin updates are four uh, players of injury note to keep your eye on. Okay. So uh, he is <laughs> giving some typical Mike Tomlin answers, which are very coded in humor, uh, trying to be kind of funny, but you do also at least get the names of guys to pay attention to for Pittsburgh this week. Pat Firemuth has been out dealing with a hamstring for a while now. They said that, you know, he said feels good about it. We'll see. Keanu Neal, who's an important part of the versatile safety group that they have. Uh, they had mentioned him with a rib injury. He quoted, we'll be watching him. There it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Montrevious Adams, who I believe plays up front for them, has an ankle issue. We'll said, we'll see what he does. We'll see what that does. Love that. We'll see what that does. And then Minka Fitzpatrick with a hamstring injury said uh, he's battling to come back to us. So mm-hmm. I would be quite all right if Minka Fitzpatrick didn't play in this game although there's a level of get back that you want in this one that will be of particular interest but the two names that stand out there Firemuth who's a tight end of value for Kenny Pickett and then obviously Minka is I think pretty close to the leader of that defense at least the second leading voice of that defense so those -hmm. two players matter we'll keep an eye on that this week but that's about it that's uh, like I said a pretty quiet news day we had a lot up at the OBR uh, well worth your attention, including we're starting some, uh, let me see here, make sure I have everything right. We are doing some playoff probability that's available. So Cody Sook has put that together. We had some stock up, stock down from the game from Jack Duffin. And then we had a thought box from yours truly, Andrew Spade. Put that together on Watson's first half, second half struggles. All of that's available for you. But now we shift over. And we cover the mailbag. We had a lot of questions. Somehow we're getting, I mean, this is, <laughs> they're coming off a really big win, right? So you guys want yeah. questions answered and we we love it. So this is a really great 
part of things. I really don't want you to be discouraged if we don't answer your question. It's usually because your question overlaps with somebody's question. And we get a lot of these in a lot of different ways. So if we don't have yours, uh, you can alert me the next time you send one in that, hey, you didn't get to mine last week. Could you get to it this week? That that sort of thing. Always willing to try to get people an answer on these things because you guys are curious. And I think it it, it lends to us having some good conversation around your questions or thoughts, right? So um, as again, we break it offense, defense, special teams, coaching, and then sort of a random section as well. So we'll start with the offense. The first one comes from Harvard Browns, apparently a pretty smart guy. Love your film review. A common theme that I noticed you say our players are well covered or well defended a lot. Is it a scheme thing? A lack of speed separation? I watch teams constantly take advantage of broken coverages, make big plays. We never seem to get those opportunities. We do. Few and far between, right? I don't think that there have been a ton of openings this year. So I think there's some work from Kevin to be done to fix that, create some advantages based off coverages that they think they're going to get to certain formations. Watson has to get them in the right play. There have been some, you know, like think about the Cardinals down at the goal line, two people jump the flat and Joku's wide open over the middle. There have been some. There have also been some that you haven't seen because they haven't been able to throw it. Protection hasn't stood up long enough and some other little elements tied into that. I don't think it's been awful, but it hasn't been good enough. And I think it boils down to something Andrew and I have talked about. I don't think they're getting enough out of their wide receiver group top to bottom. Mari Cooper's playing great football, but I really don't think they're doing enough from a route nuance perspective to create the separation they need, the tempo that they need to constantly put pressure on defensive backs and middle of the field defenders. I'm just going to leave it at that. I, if I'm grading positionally on the offense, the wide receiver group from top to bottom is not very high for me. I don't think that there's a great synchronization between the route running processes that the wide receivers and tight ends are using and finding soft spots in zone coverage or separation in man. I'm going to leave it at that. So I don't think Chad O'Shea has done a great job with that group. And uh, I don't think sometimes the scheme is the most helpful. I do think that like they challenge their guys to do some things and like they're not meeting some of those challenges. Uh, Whereas like, you know, you can create some motion baked in advantages, some different bunch formation advantages, stuff like that. So um, I just don't, let me say it this way. I don't think they've been good enough in this department, Andrew. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but that's just my takeaway from film this year is that they have not been good yeah. enough in the nuance of route running from the top down. And like mm-hmm. it trickles into some of the opportunities they, they, they don't end up having to throw the football when they need to, because I don't think people are at the right place when they need to be there. And I don't think they've created the separation that maybe that the scheme or the coach is expecting to find within a play call. Yeah. I th- I'll add two things very quickly. Uh, first, I think the way that you measure this, right, is is compare the output that you've gotten from a perfectly healthy wide receiver room, right, that nobody there has, as far as I can think, other than David Bell, has has missed time, right? Uh, Cedric Tillman missed a game earlier before he was playing, but Cooper's yeah. been healthy, Moore's been healthy, the, the main guys have been healthy. Meanwhile, on the offensive line, we're playing a guy that joined the team less than two weeks ago, and he's he's putting in a credible creditable job against the Ravens defense that's very good. I think if that was happening, if that sort of injury stuff was happening to the wide receiver room, we'd be in a world of hurt. So that's kind of how I look at it is, you know, they should be kind of excelling at this point because they've been uninterrupted for 10 weeks now without really any injuries to disrupt reps and who's you know there should be 
I, I know that the quarterback situation has been unsettled, but yeah, I, I agree with you, Jake. The other thing I would just point out, and I think this speaks to the broken coverages piece, the Browns have played the toughest schedule in the NFL uh, by DVOA, right? So their strength of schedule, like the DVOA of their opponents on average is, is you know, DVOA is percentage above average. So it's 12%. That is equivalent to the 10th ranked team in the NFL. The Jag- Jacksonville Jaguars have a 12.6% DVOA. That's the schedule the Browns have played. So they've played a top 10 team every week, basically, is the way to think about it, right? Yep. And um, when you play really good teams week in and week out, you're not going to see as many mistakes. We talked about this before. I think we talked about this last week on this show. There are worse defenses coming up on the schedule. Not a ton of them, but a few, and it'll look different, I think. Very well said. That That is... Uh... It's startling to think when they're six and three too off of that. So encouraging stuff. It's it's very promising. So yeah, just I mean, I guess since I mentioned what the schedule was, the schedule coming up, it goes from first in the league, uh, you know, like I said, hardest in the league to twenty fourth in the league. Optimism rings true. So they that that's if there's anything that can get you juiced up, they go from playing essentially the you know the the hardest schedule and being six and three to playing a bottom quartile schedule and they've got the quarterback back healthy. So I I think that's one of the things that we can get really excited about. All right. Next question. Do the Browns need to sign Vontez perfect to take a shot at Deshaun Watson before kickoff? He's pretty (laughs) bad in the first quarter and always seems to play better after a hit. Remember, remember Tom Brady in the, in the huddle or sorry, in the tunnel, just, just, just forehead smashing uh, people all the time. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Maybe that's what he needs. I'm not sure. It is very ironic that he has got, you know, or he's received these hits of some variety, sometimes his own mm-hmm. decision-making, and he's come out of it playing better football afterwards. So I'm sure this has been thrown to his attention. You, you pair, again, we, we kind of talk about this average stuff. If you if you take this guy who's been one of the best, if not the best quarterback in the second half of games this year, and you can just get average first-half play to keep the team in it, you're talking about a quarterback who's going to be top 12 in the entire NFL. So that's the goal mm-hmm. here. And that's why I think there's some optimism. I really do think that as the schedule changes, turns over a little bit, the Browns can get on track with early game scripting and be better. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really actually borderline expect it, Andrew. So I, I think we don't need Vontez perfect. I get that. Uh, we're doing a little hyperbolic stuff here. I, it's funny. I like it. That's a great call out to AFC North past, but uh, there does need to be a sense of urgency that we got to be better from the start. I, and I thought, Jake, I mean, I, I thought that I, the the article I wrote today for the site is basically saying I thought the first half was better than it felt. Like when you watched it live, because the first pass he throws is a pick six and they're down seven and then they go three and out and then the Ravens score and now it's 14 nothing and they're struggling to move the ball. It feels like he's not doing anything. But when you watch the throws in a vacuum, I didn't have a lot of trouble with his decision-making or his accuracy, really. Like, there there was, you know, that 6-20 number especially is inflated by four throwaways and uh, two drops, and, you know, you can go on from there. Like, I, I think... Not a ton of people open. Not a ton of people open. If, the, if yeah. David catches that ball on the right sideline, you know, yep. he could end up throwing a touchdown in the first half. Even the one on the court. first drive, yep. where, where he has Najoku over the middle, and it's low... But, you know, Najoku gets contacted by Roquan Smith before the ball even arrives yeah, and then is, is, is late hands with it. So, you know, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I, I think the way I felt 
watching it without the emotion was that the first play colored so much of what we saw from then on because it felt like here we go again. But I don't really think if you if you step back that that's the story. I think the story is he was all right in the first half, and the and the offense overall was struggling because the Ravens are a good defense, but they adjusted and they figured it out. Well, you got to think too. What? How does this formula work, Andrew? You 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 know you have this early that harkens back to week two, early tipped exactly. interception, and then you have yeah. a bad number in the first half, and then you have a bunch of people who don't like him coming into the picture and saying, "Ha, look at this highlight, two hundred thirty right. million, yep. and then mm-hmm. look at these numbers in the first half." But they don't they don't go back and rewatch it. They just want to do no. that. So yeah, yes. that totally. No, I, and, and I'm, I was guilty of it too. I mean, so when I'm talking about people not seeing it correctly, I am one of those people. I'm putting my hand up because I was very emotionally invested in this game. And that first play, I was on the doom train for the entire first half. Yeah. And well, so just sleep I through think... it. If you, if you, that's my suggestion, <laughs> you sleep through it, you'll be just fine. You wake up on the other side. Start of it. a craze of Browns fans waking up at halftime. Yeah. Let's start a trend. All right, how was the oh, run? We're only down seven. Okay, we can do it. <laughs> All right, Stan Ing, uh, Ing, Ing Berman. I think I hope I got that right, Stan. How was the run game able to get going the past few weeks compared to the first two weeks when Chubb was out? Better vision from Ford, O-line clicking. Yes and yes. Uh, and I, I include Seattle in this too because they ran better, but they're getting more diverse. They're running from the gun. They're running pin-pull sweeps from the gun. They're getting under center and running pin-pull sweeps. They're running power from the gun, also running wide zone. under. They're getting more diverse in their approach. And I think that's keeping teams from knowing ahead of the snap what play is coming. The Browns have been too predictable in the run game. I think you guys have been hearing me on this pod say it for like, I don't know, 18 months. Like it's it's gotten crazy. And I, I try to understand that like Andrew and I are doing the show a lot of these days of the week. And we, we can sometimes fall into the habit of saying the same things, but like, and if you're an avid listener, you hear it every single day. So you're like, it kind of can sound broken recordy. We're not trying to do that, but they needed diversity in the run game. And I'll give them credit, Andrew, that they found it. There's nothing other to me than that. Then they, they have talented guys up front and they said, we need to expand how we go about running the football. And they've done a nice job. Look back at 2021 and the lack of diversity they had in the run game to where they are now. It's night and day. And it is obviously always better with Nick. Always. But they have found a root, like a real groove and rhythm with these guys and doing some different things from the gun and doing some different things from under center. And like Kevin's clearly trying to break his under center tendencies too by having his quarterback straight drop seven step throws. Like, mm-hmm. and the protection mm-hmm. on those seven step drops were like really good because yep. defensive ends are like these guys are under center, no play action, straight drop. Like it changes your rush mm-hmm. plan. So. Yep. I actually liked it. I actually liked it. They took some shots downfield off of those situations. And I, um, you know, encourage because what you have to do, if you get under center and an edge player or whatever is thinking there's like two things they can do here, three things they can do, you're done. You're cooked. You have to yep. make defenders think, and they're doing a better job of making defenders think. I think that's as simple as, as that. Yeah. The only thing I would add is that when the Browns made the playoffs in 2020, one of the stories of that season was how they adapted their team over the course of the season to figure out ways to win. And I think we can understand why they weren't as able to do that in 21 with Baker Mayfield's injury or in 22 with the quarterback mess. I think we're seeing that again this year. And I think it was one of the things that I thought was one of Stefanski's strengths as a coach and play caller. I think we're kind of seeing more of it again this year and it's super encouraging. It really you know, if there's anything that makes you feel good about where the what their trajectory is, 
It's that it feels like they're putting together better game plans on a week to week basis to 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 scheme up their opponents. Uh, you know, and I know that kind of flies in the face of some of their early struggles in the, on the scripted plays. But like we talked about the other day, would you rather adjust or would you rather be lights out for the first 15? I'd rather adjust and they're doing it really well. Okay. What does the offense need to do to avoid mistakes and turnovers against this Pittsburgh defense? How would you attack this defense and their formidable pass rush this week? This is Garrett Pitts. It's going to be a challenge. It, and I think that what you and I talked about, Andrew, like uh, Deshaun's step up, slide out approach, they're going to be ready for it. They're going to have the whole D line plan to be ready for that. So the Browns are going to have to be better, right? So I think you're going to get a lot of TJ Watt trying to run through his guy instead of upfield, beat him. He's going to be ready to shock shed and go inside and, and make some of those cleanup sacks where a quarterback steps up. The Browns have to throw it on time in the quick game and create some opportunities off of play action with creativity. Think of the Tillman block that gets you out on the perimeter, things of that nature, and hit those plays, right? So uh, I would say their ability to be diverse in the gun run to keep the run pass balance is effective. Keep having that in tow. Hit them with a lot of screen. This is a good screen week, Andrew. You know, you talk mm-hmm. about last week and the week before that, I think after Seattle, teams are like, whoa, right? Like, <laughs> this, we're not letting this happen again. And I think Pittsburgh will be geared up to try to beat these edge guys and create those explosive turnovers. And you yeah. better be ready to hit some of those screens. I need to go back and watch week two off the top of my head. I do think they left some screens on the field that week. They so did. with inexperienced linebacker, you're going to have linebacker troubles, you know, guys coming up, playing, filling in for, the struggling spots they have in that that second level of the Steelers defense. You're certainly not dealing with Rokon and Patrick Queen. So diversion, chaos, hit some screens, throw on time, chip more than you did last week to slow those guys down and have an understanding of when you're getting a chip block and when you're not, so you're not getting beat inside when a, when a mm-hmm. tight end or running back gives the shoulder and pushes that guy on the inside path. And just be really in tune with the quarterback has to be in tune with knowing I got chip blocks here. I can escape outside right if I need to, so on and so forth. They just really need to be clean there. I think Watson's done a nice job, for the most part, taking care of the football this year. So, you know, again, away from Pittsburgh on a, on a nighttime setting, it's different. So control what you can control as an offense, keeping the Pittsburgh Steelers defense on their heels with what's coming. And then take advantage of those opportunities you have to hit some big ones. And then I, like I said, man, I'm I'm pretty adamant about it this week. I would screen the hell out of these guys and and really make yeah. them. Screen game slows down pass rush. It is just known to do it. So you need to be able to hit on some of those. Yeah, I mean, obviously the health of Dewan Jones is a big part of this, right? Because I, I think I saw enough. I think we we both like what we saw from Garan Christian. Uh, so if you could do Christian and Jones, I think you'd you'd feel. A, uh, okay, I guess, but you know, maybe they want to play Hudson over Christian if they can. That remains an open question. To your point, Jake, about screens, I actually would be fine with the Browns being as conservative, kind of like what the Broncos did last night against the Bills. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how many of you watched that game, but you know, Sean Payton seems to have taken some sort of an oath to not expose the quarterback or offense to the downfield pass. <laughs> Um, like it's all underneath and runs and screens and dump offs and everything's got like 
you know, multiple release valves for Russell so that he doesn't have to sit in there and really process in the pocket. And normally I'm not a fan of that, but the Browns defense is going to beat the hell out of the Steelers offense. Like that's, you can just write that in stone. So why extend yourself offensively if you don't need to? Yeah. If the Browns could just get like, find a way to put together an opening drive in the first possession or two, get a seven point lead, maybe you extend it to 10, then just sit on your hands. Like yeah. truly, yeah. you know, run the ball, screen, run the ball, punt, let them play defense. I, I, I'm happy with that. If they can get out of there 13 to 10, you know, and, and the defense, I mean, you know, you worry about the defense getting tired. Obviously you want to possess the ball more. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but I don't know, man. I, I just think like, it doesn't have to be an explosive a, offense day. It does. Exactly. You, you, you're not going to need 40 points to win this game. Yeah. I I'm, I'm, I'm very sure of that. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So, you know, be opportunistic when you can don't overextend yourself, like you said. And again, just, just, Take advantage of where their their weaknesses sit. And I think their weaknesses are, are going to be right there in, in front of you. Uh, pretty pretty obvious. So uh, I feel I feel there's a really nice opportunity for the Browns to beat some tendencies and give them some give, give teams some trouble. Um, yeah. Well, go ahead one with other the thing. Go ahead. One other thing I just wanted to add is I I just remembered the Steelers linebacker situation in years past. Stefanski has been so good at getting. Uh, running backs or tight ends on those linebackers in space. Jarvis that's used been to kill them too. Like, yes, yeah, exactly. like they, that's ironic. Right. We're listening to the, to the Raiders talk about know, building so their funny. defense about Robert Spillane. The Browns used to put that guy in a blender. And uh, <laughs> I, again, Pittsburgh, they, they just lost Quan Alexander. They lost yes. Cole yeah. Holcomb. I think is it Landon Roberts yep. and someone else like Mike, Mike Al Walker, who has been on the practice yeah. squad. Yep. Um, not, not, not notable pass disaster. coverage guys for them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, so that's another small thing, which would also be pretty conservative, right? Those those interior over the middle type passes tend to be pretty safe, you, yeah. especially if you're on like less athletic uh, linebackers. So, that's why Keanu right. Neal's important to pay attention to as well, because he's a guy who's mm-hmm. played some linebacker in previous stops. Yeah. So there you go. Mm-hmm. All right, next question. Uh, this this person, this is Robert Pace. He says, uh, "Really enjoyed uh, Chief getting the ball in the middle of the field where he could do some angry runs, as you mentioned earlier, Jake, the Kyle Brandt special." Uh, now that that is on tape, what is the next wrinkle or the best wrinkle that will keep the Steelers off balance and keep Chief balling? Double moves, man. They're sitting there. They're waiting on him. Like it is right there for the taking. Him up the seam, give him some throws. There was a slot fade. I think they should have thrown to him one on one. I th- I just think they're one on one downfield opportunities that you now have to really attack. If teams are going to say they're getting the ball to David shallow, he's running a lot of stick routes. Right? He's running a lot of speed outs. He's running a lot of sit down you know, sort of underneath of like Haas Juke stuff where he's he's getting a two-way go at the five-yard mark. Run him on some some seam and go, right? Run him on a stick and go. Run him on, you know, out and ups. Like he's the double move stuff with him against guys who can't cover him are right there. And I really actually think, like my two big things this week are screens and double moves with David Njoku. I think they're sitting there waiting to be taken advantage of is kind of where I'm at with it because they've got these tendencies they put on tape. You got some inexperienced Pittsburgh linebackers and, and another guy, and Roberts is a good run defender, but he's not a good coverage player. And I will be interested to see if Pittsburgh uh, ups the ante with the defensive backs on the field in this game. But I mean, man, like those are two elements of just like like things you can scheme up and take advantage game plan wise that are sitting there for you. So I, I definitely don't think teams want David gathering steam anymore. 
right? They're probably tired of watching him run through you for seven, eight extra yards. So I do think there's going to be an attention on his shorter route, condensing the space for him. So now let's go back to what David's done pretty well throughout his career, which is get down the field vertically and give him the chance to go up and get a football. I would like to see more of that. I, off the top of my head, Andrew, cannot think of many seam shots thrown to David and Joku this year. So let's get no. him some opportunities to use that 6-5 frame, go up and get it. It's uh, It's got a chance to be a nice day for him. Yeah, that would be really fun if this was the David Njoku game because I think it's very clear how much the team feeds off of his energy. He is, you know, Stefanski has name-checked him as sort of a leader, you know, or the leader really on offense besides the quarterback. And I think, you know, a breakout game for him if he went for like, you know, 120 yards and two touchdowns would just be a treat, I think, for everybody to, you know, it's a he's a guy worth celebrating. He's, he was here for 0-16. He's been here a long time now. I know that he has not always been a fan favorite, but he he deserves a lot of love these days. Next question. Noticed Watson starting to pull linebackers with his eyes quickly hitting passes in the vacated middle of the field in the second half. Something they noticed with the Ravens or just Watson settling in a bit? That comes from uh, Fork underscore Bombs. What's up? Um, both. I, I think the Ravens have two linebackers who are very aggressive with finding routes entering their zones, and they did a nice job of coming off the first answer to find the second answer, and I do think Watson is getting more comfortable settling in yeah. and finding the middle of the field. And that's something that should really encourage you. So short answer for me, but you answered your own question in a sense. He's settling yeah, in. It. And I think that yeah. that's encouraging. That I, on the rewatch, the uh, Elijah Moore touchdown, yeah. he's, he's pulling in, really, pulling in. he's really yeah. screwing with queen just to mm-hmm. make that window a little bit more, more mm-hmm. wide. And, and uh, yeah, that's the sort of quarterbacking we haven't seen too much of in, in not Cleveland, Jake, where you, where you see a guy with enough, situational awareness to do something like that while he's rolling to his left. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great job. <laughs> so yeah. Super encouraging. Uh, all right. Next one. Uh, this is a sort of a, I don't know. This is kind of a betting. This is a little bit of betting advice. I suppose you guys usually do this on the game day pod, but we'll rock it here. Um, given the two following scenarios, uh, which over would you rather take George Pickens over 50 receiving yards or Deshaun Watson over 250 passing yards? Uh, I mean, if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick Pickens. I probably have a little more confidence in that largely yeah. because I think you and I are in agreement about this game, Andrew, that the Browns don't need to be throwing for no. 250 yards to win this game. No. I do think they'll be able yeah. to find some run game success and, you know, getting him to like 225 and good distribution of targets is going to be fine yeah. to me. So, I mean, he definitely mm-hmm. could. I'm just saying yeah. like the Steelers should be, th- I, again, I think they're going to do a lot of that, fade ball up the sideline junk Pittsburgh does like they're going to get in those situations where they have to go to that I just think Pickens gets to 50 not saying he gets some big day but 50 yards well he could do it on one catch he did did it on one catch in the first game you're right he did it in the first game so yeah I probably have more faith in that but that's just like not in in sort of an indictment on Watson or anything like that right no and and honestly I think if I was a betting well, I am a betting man. If I was if I was going to bet these lines, I would probably be tempted to bet the under on both of those. Because <laughs> I, I, I really see. think the defense has has a, a point to prove against this this Pittsburgh team, and I think Pittsburgh's going to want to come out and run it, Andrew. They've been actually running yeah. it pretty yeah. well. No, I know. So I am yeah. very intrigued by how the Browns match the physicality on defense and try to, you know, when I, they're going right, buddy. Are high. Yeah, when they're yeah. going right and they're like getting the yards before contact down at like the point five range, or sometimes like mm-hmm. the McCaffrey, they had him in the negativeville. I just am mm-hmm. really looking forward to that, uh, how that battle fares. So, uh, okay, 
Switching over to defense now, we have with improved play from Elliott and what we've seen from Hurst and Harris and then past years Malik Jackson, Andrew Billings getting a chunky extension somewhere else, although it didn't work out in Cleveland. Do we need to reevaluate what we've assumed was a weakness in Andrew Barry identifying interior draft or sorry, interior D-line talent? Uh, he said, you know, okay with Togiai, but nobody's perfect. I, I mean, I think he's he's raised the basement of that. Like it was obviously really rough for a while. Um, you know, the, the Hearst signing is looking really good. You know, Shelby Harris has worked out really well. Um, and, and Jordan Elliott has gotten better in a different scheme. So there's some credit there. And again, like, you know, Andrew Billings is, is thriving elsewhere. Not that I don't think he could have thrived here, but it was a really weird sort of, he took the COVID yeah. year off, came back really out of shape and, all of that kind of coming together at the same time. I, I don't think it's as bad as we once viewed it. This year has improved it, but I still need to see him improve there. And obviously he could draft better. You know, we're still talking yeah. about Perry on Winfrey here. We're talking about. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Win, Winfrey I. wasn't even mentioned. Yeah. yeah. So the other name that's not mentioned here is Dalvin Tomlinson. And I think actually that's the most important one to get right because he's getting the most money. So, and, and he is right. I really like watching that guy play football. Yeah, and that's the thing is that I I think the biggest issue with the Browns personnel on defense the past two years is that I I truly believe Joe Woods didn't know what to ask for. Mm -hmm. It's like a, it's like when a kid gets grumpy and you have to figure out what's making them unhappy because they can't put it into words. They're just crying and and kicking a fit. Like Joe Woods could not tell you what type of players he needed to make his defense work because. He, they they go out and get these guys, and then they're not using them in the ways that they should be using them. It happened again and again and again and again. I'll say maybe Siakik is going to be active this year at some point. I don't I don't know about that one. I mean, this might be the game. It might be the game. I I just I mean they've been really fortunate, you know, knocking on on wood yeah. there for the health yeah. of that group. But uh, I'm wondering what they are trying to do with him behind the scenes to get him to the point that they feel like they can play him. Uh, it's it's an interesting element of things to me. But yeah, yeah, the draft lingers a little bit. But again, you can draft later guys and try to develop them if you sign some stop gaps or you hit on a Maurice Hurst, right? Or you have mm -hmm. some of those things that work out for you. So uh, yeah. good question. Uh, I think you're, uh, it's, it looks like the question on Newsom is up next. Yeah, yeah. Do do Next question here is, do we think that there is hope for uh, Greg Newsom to improve in the slot or is he not a fit there? He is so good outside and obviously nice to have with Ward's injury proneness, but seems to struggle in the slot, Ryan Rooney. Um, I, I would say... That I don't, I I don't think he has the requisite physicality and toughness to play in the slot. At least the type of slot player that that I think Jake and I prefer. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. You know, and it, it, his 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 frame is very slight. Like you, you, this is his third year in the league. Typically, these guys tend to bulk up a little bit as they as they you know are in the weight room year round and getting you know they can all have personal chefs and everything. I, I don't I haven't seen that from him. He I, I don't think he's a bad player. I agree that he is better on the outside. Um and I think, you know, it, the the Browns are in a, an enviable position where they have three really good outside corners. Um so I, I what I would like to see is that they draft somebody again at nickel and then you have kind of two tough nickel type guys next year with Cam Mitchell and whoever they draft. I really like that kid out of Michigan. I know that it's not the right thing to do on a Browns podcast to talk about Michigan guys. More Michigan respect. fans that are Browns fans than I, I've ever come to know. Uh, That's true. Yeah, the, the kid, uh, Sandra still, the number zero for, for Michigan is is incredible. As well, if he doesn't Michigan. know what and, plays are coming, though, does that does that change? Mm, okay. Well, you know. I, you know what? Connor Stallions is available. He is sitting out there free agent <laughs> for somebody. He'll write you a manifesto. 
uh, to, to the short answer to what you're saying, I agree. I think that they never planned on Newsom being a slot, but they had this opportunity to draft Martin Emerson and they're like, he's the top player on our board. He's pretty good. Browns have two really good outside corners. They could have three really good outside corners, but they need to put a guy like Newsom on the field somewhere. He's probably in one of the few schemes that are really good for him because he can play man to man a lot in the slot and not have run game responsibility. Whereas if you're a heavier zone team, he does have a lot of run fits. So this is an equation where it works. I don't think Greg Newsom, like to your point, Andrew is ever going to be a preeminent slot player. I think his future is on the outside somewhere, whether that's here in Cleveland because something happens or they move somebody or they potentially move him. I don't know, Yeah, but there is a good slot there but I think his destiny is trying to get back out outside and uh, be the best player he can be as an outside corner, which I just think he's, he's best suited for. So well, uh, he could be ahead. a starting NFL outside cornerback. So oh, yeah, I mean, that, he was, you know, that's, he was here that's, until right. they, they ran into their problem they have. Right. And that's big money. So just from his perspective as like being a, you know, making the most money he can and maximizing his career, he needs to be outside. Right on. All right. Now we have a slew of uh, things from taxi Mike here. Where yeah, this is I, so good. maybe you can summarize this better than I can. I think you've read it. I have not. It's it's a okay, great yeah. it's a great point he's making. Uh, it's so it's and there's research. I mean, this is where we're really lucky, Jake, because you know some you know a lot a lot of people a lot of shows. It's like the questions are like, when is the fan going to pull his head out of his ass? And this <laughs> this is one of our listeners, um, doing research, sending a screenshot of a spreadsheet to us. Right. So the question is. Do you guys, I mean, this isn't really the question, uh, but the but the the premise is the Browns offense has been on the field so much more than the defense game after game, right? So he, he has a spreadsheet of every game of the year, but I'll just give you the totals. It's 648 snaps for the offense, 482 snaps for the defense. Per game, that's 72 to 53. So you're talking about almost a 20-snap advantage. So... Mike, this is Michael Clark at Taxi Mike three two one. Thank you so much for this incredible point. His theory is that the snap count difference in every game keeps the defense defense fresh and allows Miles and company to play more snaps, which is obviously beneficial. Also, the opponent's defense wears out, and by the fourth quarter, they're more likely to get pushed around. That's what happened with Baltimore. He researched this via ESPN box scores, um, but even in the game, the first Baltimore game where they got blown out, they were still on the field more than the defense 65 snaps for the offense versus 55 for the defense i suppose that makes a little bit of sense if the other team's just trying to run clock but uh they have not been the defense has not been on the field more than the offense in any game they've played and they've played nine games i just think that's a remarkable statistic and uh you know a really the other the other piece of the theory that michael says is the benefit of playing a lot of man uh versus ben don't break is that the you know, you can get off the field in, in three downs more often. It's a different, and then it's a different you, approach, Andrew. If you do else. get burnt, you're getting burnt for one big play and you're also off the field quicker. Right. So, yeah. um, yeah, I just think it's, I think it's a really great point. And I, I don't, I think the thing that I took away from that more than anything is Jake, I don't think anybody in media Brown's media has made that, uh, discovery. So I'm extremely gratified that a listener of ours is the person that figured that out. Yeah, we might have to write on it to Mike's credit because it's such a staggering thing. Like, yeah, there's a lot of factors that go into this. I'm not sure the Browns sat down when they hired Jim Schwartz and said, hey, we got to go, you know, two to one plays here, right? Or one and a half to one <laughs> ratio of plays here, right. right? I don't know that they're 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 saying that necessarily. I guess it'd be like one and a quarter to get my math right. But anyway, 
though it is a byproduct of a lot of just how they play they're they're historic on third downs they just tell baltimore to another two of eight it is because they're doing something defensively not many teams are doing right now in a league that wants to sit in too high and wants to make you work your way down the field the browns don't play quarters it's jarring they just don't play the most popular defensive secondary coverage they're not playing it and they're making you prepare for them in a unique way every week and that leads to teams being off kilter that leads to them missing on throws and that leads to them getting off the field at a historic pace imagine a world where the browns stop turning it over and then this is even more <laughs> skewed right so i do think that kevin right. and the group sees this and they want to be on the field like this is the way they want to live this is the route the route they're you know traveling here from from mike's data and um you know what we've seen the result that's exactly what they want they want to live in a world where they run 25 more plays than the opponent because that usually equals a win unless you turn it over. So, yeah, man, like this is the this is a best result. Now, again, it can get even better when you start taking care. And you, you think about this again, Andrew, when they're better on opening scripts, they, yeah. they have better first halves like this mm-hmm. is going to be something we notice you know, throughout the year, I just, I really, I really do think it is going to be a large part of their wins. We're not going to see many wins where the Browns have a a fewer number of plays. They just, they're not right. The NFL doesn't want them to hit explosives and they're not really dialed into having explosives yet. Maybe the Mm -hmm. roster evolves in the coming years and they get more speed demons and stuff like that, but they're not even built that way. They're built to take advantage of what teams want to give them, which is what Brett Coleman, no offense, man wants to make fun of which is the the approach of taking 10 to 14, 15, 16 plays to get down the field because you're just sort of, you know, one, you're just chopping at the, at the tree, right? One swing at the tree every time. Eventually that thing's going to fall. That's what defenses right. are trying to encourage teams to do, trying to limit explosives. And the Browns are saying, okay, well, we'll just take what's in front of us. So this is really encouraging, obviously, but it can get even better. And that's kind of like, wow, right? Yeah. You know, that it could get even better. Yeah, I so if you look at the series conversion rates, um, Ben Baldwin puts these stats out every week. Um, the Browns are 28th in the league on offensive uh, series conversions. So 65% of their offensive series end in a first down or a touchdown, right? Which is, again, 28th in the league. On defense, uh, 55% of their uh, the series they're defending against end in a touchdown or a first down which is 9% lower than the Ravens who are in second place. So the Ravens and the Jets are both at 64 and then the Saints are at 65, uh the Cowboys are at 66. It's a, it's very it's a very gradual curve. The only jump in this curve anywhere on it, you know, every other team from the Ravens at 2 to the Broncos at 32 is 64 to 75. It's a very gradual curve. The Browns are at 55. So it's 10 percentage points off in a positive direction. I thought this has been the case all year. I thought at the beginning of the year, this was a product of the games they played in the Joe Burrow weather situation, the awful Pittsburgh offense in week two, and then, you know, pretty, pretty clunky Titans offense. I thought, you know, it's going to even out as they get more games. We're nine games in and they're, you know, I mean, in, in terms of this statistic, they're basically lapping the field. It's like running a three minute mile. This does not happen in the NFL. And I, I, I kind of think, Jake, that I, I don't think necessarily that they set out to do this, but I do think that they have understood what they are good at 
in such a way that it they are accentuating what each other does. You know what I mean? Like this is the perfect offense for this defense and vice versa is the way to say it. Yeah, and and I think that the thing that's funny is we have not we've seen the defense's max potential here. We've seen it. Like they have put together things in every realm, tying the front to the back. Like their vision, like clapping for them. It has come together in the best way it could possibly come together here. And they're they're genuinely a Super Bowl threat there. The offense missing Watson the way they did, if they keep Mm -hmm. evolving it, keep pushing it, Watson's legs are able to create those first downs on third and fives or third and fours, like they have an ability here to be a very annoying offense that just kind of keeps the chains moving. And you're looking up and like these sons of bitches have run 70 plays again. And it's like, right. we've only and been on the field drives for, for cetera, 48. Yeah. Like yep. they, yep. they, they the formulas. I don't, again, I don't know if they sat down and said, we're going to tie this offense to this defense in that way, but it's sure working out that way. And if, again, if they get more efficient and more, you know, continue to, to turn that turnover number in the correct direction, which has been working in that way. Boy, it's encouraging, Andrew. Really encouraging. Yeah. I, I mean, yes, I, I think the right that they've done this with, as I said, the offense has been 28th. So this imbalance is in place despite the offense not being as good as it could be. And I think, as we have said a lot this year, the offense gets to sort of league average in those areas. And this imbalance is going to become even more stark because other teams just can't get hold of the ball because they keep going three and out. So it's, it's, I think it's cl- the closest thing I've seen to a key to help and understand why the Browns defense is as good as they are. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, 
comedy and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone, all right? So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that GameTime app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account. Redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com. It is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon, using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Uh, Which of the defensive tackles that will be free agents at the end of the season would you prefer that they re-sign? That's from Ben. Well, each of them come with a little bit of risk, right? Like Jordan Elliott is in a one-year wonder thing. He's the most likely because you could probably keep him on a cheaper deal. Still young, no injury history. Maurice Hurst has injury history, but I still don't think he would cost you much. So like Shelby Harris is older, a little more expensive. I'm probably inclined to keep Hurst and Elliott, but I have not... So don't come at me about this. I haven't even really thought about it, man. Like I don't, I haven't examined it from every angle. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think they're, are they playing anyone else? It's those three, right? Hearst, no, it's, yeah. Elliot and, those, and Shelby yeah, Harris. That's like, the rotation. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I would love to have all three of them back and there's probably a world where they can get all three of them to come back another year. But as far as like you're, you're examining things, there are risks of all of them. Harris is older. Hearst yeah. is younger, but injury prone. And then Elliot is like, is this version of him the version you get in perpetuity? You're always kind of wagering that. But I think that of those three, I don't see some long extension. I actually think you could get those guys back on one years if we're being mm-hmm. honest. So, I, I mean, you know, pick your flavor at that. I mean, at that point, I don't think you have to make some giant decision on some big contract for somebody up there. Well, what it gives you is flexibility, right? Because it's it's kind of like what they've done at linebacker where Anthony Walker at some point during this the offseason comes back on a one-year deal. And, Sioni Taki Taki came back on a one year deal, even though he was hurt. Um, it's I think it's kind of the same thing here. You, you, I think you can go into free agency with your eyes open if there's a deal that you can find that uh, that offers an upgrade. I th- I would I would be excited if they could find through the draft or free agency somebody to pair with Dalvin Tomlinson as a true sort of one two punch. But I think part of their strength this year has been their depth. So I, as you said, Jake running all of this back like it's gonna be hard for me not to just want to see all of the guys on this defense back next year because of how well they play and they're really fun so i'm with you on that special teams coaching up next did the hopkins pat potentially help the browns win this game answered it on chalk talk last night yes that's second and 19 if it was 31 31 hovering around a minute left i think they would have run a draw andrew and maybe even thrown a screen and been out of it and tried to punt and run the clock as much as they could have. Like, I don't think they would have been aggressive on second and 19. So in a weird way, yeah, it probably did end up giving them the 
to push forward. They needed to be aggressive and go win the game. So I'll say yeah, yes to and, that. And it and it helped the it, it it caused the Ravens to be more conservative when they had the ball at right afterwards. Right. That was that was the other thing is that uh, you know they're, they're content to sit on it because they've got a one point lead. So they're just trying to burn clock. And you know that's I think I I agree. And you know. <laughs> these these games, when you get a little bit away from them, you realize just how complicated all of it is. And the fact that a head coach can ever make a lot of good decisions on the sideline when all of that swirling around them is incredibly impressive. It's it's really wild. But yeah. yeah, to your point, it changed the way the Ravens went about that possession, changed the way the Browns went about that second and 19. If they can, didn't have that strip sack and played out in front of the sticks, I think they still would have been obviously trying to. But I think at that moment mm. when it's like, whoo, Second and 19, man, against this Ravens yeah. defense is really spicy. Let's just go to overtime if we can. Let's get a big punt and yep. do our best to do that. So, yeah, I'm with that one. Um, that question yep. also came from Eric Moyer. The DT's question came from Ben, so we forgot to mention those. Sorry about that. Um, all right, uh, next one, Andrew. I think it's from Phil Schleyball, I think is how we pronounce that one. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, with 322 left in the third, the Ravens had 12 men on the field, but uh, we're left to continue with that right up until the snap before calling timeout. Uh, Stefanski was extremely agitated. What was he complaining about? And are they supposed to flag that upon breaking the huddle or was it something else? Um, I, you and I had I some believe... banter on this one before. Yeah. So yeah. I go ahead. I'm pretty sure. Like, I'm pretty sure the rule is that 12 men on the field on defense is only penalizable. I guess you could say once the snap happens, yes. right? Because yes. defenses are always substituting in reaction to what the offense is doing. And they don't do a traditional so that... huddle like exactly. the offense does. So, right. Yeah, I mean you can't you can't run a play on offense with twelve guys and score. T- it's just I just think you can't like break the huddle with twelve. I think it, it kind of changes how the defense the defense gets reactionary to that and stuff. I think you're right. It's 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 in a way that's described that the offense can't break the huddle with twelve or sub in if it's a hurry up situation. But the defense, the snap has to happen. I mean, we saw it with the field goal for the Bills. My God, we haven't even talked about that where the bills screwed themselves, right? It doesn't get called until the play is, is over. And there's a little bit of the official, the officials counting that the back judge counting it. Yep. Uh, that comes into it uh, as well. So yeah, that has to be snapped. So I think you were making a point before the show started, Andrew, that uh, he was upset about something else. Like uh, my um, guess is that he was probably being, he was angry about how long they were holding the ball. Yeah. Because so, so if the offense substitutes, then the officials hold the ball they stand over the ball and don't allow the offense to substitute or the offense to snap the ball until the defense has had a chance to substitute. So my expectation is that the Browns were done and the Ravens were taking their sweet time and had 12 on the field and were struggling to figure it out, but the Browns couldn't snap the ball because the officials were holding. But yeah, or, or something. The, it could have, it could be anything yeah, where they, they didn't right. reset the play clock or yeah, I right. think they, they Kevin knew it, but there was something stopping them to your point, Andrew from taking advantage of getting the free five yards that they would have gotten if they'd been able to snap it. So I think that's what it was. The only way we'd be able to check that is the TV copy, which neither of us has at this point. So yeah, I might know. go back and sorry, watch that. If sorry. I have to issue a correction and a tweet to the, to the post of the pod, I yeah. will do that. But there you um, go. So Phil, keep an eye out for the, uh, yeah, any corrections in the corrections department. We, we didn't quite have time to do that before this. We did have time to review the next one, which the question comes from 603 Brown says, what happened on the game-winning field goal where Malik Harrison jumped the line? Was that penalty that the refs actually picked up? Finally, were we insanely lucky he didn't get a hand on the ball? So we did some research. We watched it. He didn't touch either the center or the left guard. He just hurdled him. 
And what was really peculiar is that the Ravens did a fun thing, which I hope the Browns you know, use in the future, which is they took the two guys beside Harrison and pinned the center, which might be illegal. We'd have to look into that, but they definitely did it. They pinned the center down on the snap and they, they pinned down the left guard. So those guys couldn't lift up to block or get, or be a part of like, you know, if Harrison tries to jump over them, he would like, you know, hit them, right? That that's, I think Andrew, when it becomes a penalty is when they use them as leverage, right? That's the leverage call. So they pinned them down. That's why Harrison was able to jump over it. The, the difference was when you think back to miles against the Colts, two, two factors, one miles did it without having to have anybody hold someone down, which mean in the like freak of nature, right? Uh, the second was that the kick from gay was, was a 59 yarder. It was long. So the trajectory was very low trying to drive it low to gain distance. Whereas the um, kick from, from um, Hopkins was only 40, 41. Yeah. So he was yeah, able 41. to lift it. So Harrison actually had no chance to block it. By the time he landed and started to lift his hands, the ball was up way over his head. And that's the difference in kick styles from 40 yards and why those yards to get closer, closer, closer are so important versus kicking from 52 it's a very big difference in trajectory of the football coming out. So they were right on picking up the flag. There was no leverage used. I would be interested to know if there was a penalty pinning the center down before he has a chance to lift and protect himself. But nonetheless, that's how it came to be. And no, Harrison did not have a chance to actually block it because the kick was already elevated because it was kicked with a lift trajectory, right? Instead of the opposite, which is a low drive trajectory, which is what miles was able to block because that ball came out so low. Miles was quicker too. Like Miles jump, broad jump, lift, way quicker than than uh, Harrison. Which it's it's even funnier to think of because you know he obviously is uh, is doing that without getting anybody, you know, somebody holding somebody down. He just did it very yeah. quickly. And he's like fifty pounds heavier. Yeah, he's <laughs> two hundred seventy five pounds. So yeah, nuts. Um, all right. In the world that we are so unfamiliar with, uh, meaning the Browns being successful. When could we expect to start seeing extensions for Kevin, Andrew Barry, and uh, everybody on the in the front office and the coaching staff and all that stuff? This is from Patton. Uh, I think there's no reason for the Browns to do any of this. I don't know what you think, Jake, but I don't think there's any reason for the Browns to do this until after the season. I don't like, even think it gets addressed until after the season. I, I really yeah, there's there's enough questions, honestly. And I'm, you know, we have at times been critical about things that both the front office and coaching staff have done. I don't. It's very hard right now after the <laughs> the win they just had on Sunday to be critical about anything. Um, I guess I'm a little perturbed still about the Cedric Tillman Donovan Peoples Jones situation, but uh, you know it's not anything I'm losing sleep over. But I, I think from a business perspective, there's no reason that the Browns need to jump the line on this. Mm -hmm. uh, Barry and Stefanski are under contract through next year, so there's plenty of time. Uh, you know, in uh, January or I mean, fingers crossed, knocking on wood, February after the season ends to wrap that stuff up even more knock on wood in March. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm with you. I just want to see them. You want to see them playing in March madness. Is that what yeah, you're let's just, let's just have it end at like the end of the February in the super bowl. Isn't that like end of February, these super bowls these days, it's like president's day. It's like mid Feb. All right. Well, whatever. When they get done with their celebration, it's going to take two weeks to right. Yeah. It's that. like a two, it's a two week bender. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're right. You're right. It's March. All right. Nailed it. All right. Um, a few questions left here uh, that we want to hit on. I think these are in the random section. So this is a non-Browns question, but I think it's relevant to just a macro level. From someone that watches film, and I know you guys uh, don't pay close attention to the Bills, 
But how does one explain that all the data shows their offense is good, EPA and all that, but when you watch them actually play, it doesn't look that way at all. And it just it, it, and it isn't just the turnovers. The whole operation appears to be disjointed and have no plan. How can there be such a disconnect between the numbers and eye test? I think it's because the Bills are really ugly on like six drives, but really pretty on like four and gain a bunch of yards. And chunk plays are involved in that, Andrew, and the yards per attempt can typically go up. And uh, I just think that it all is driven from like how efficient they are in some of the drives that, that end in positive results. But I'm not an EPA expert. I, I, I again, think EPA is a part of the story, just like grades are a part of the story, just like your eye test is part of the story. To his point, we don't watch the Bills much. I watched them last night. And I agree, not very good. Hilarious, not, absolutely hilarious. Not very good. And uh, the, what's funny is they could have run for three hundred yards against those mm-hmm. guys, and they didn't want to mm-hmm. do it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I don't have a perfect answer for it. It's a good question. I just don't have the best answer for it. Maybe you do, Andrew, but I, I think it's tied to some of their efficiency on some drives. And uh, yeah, well, you know, good. I th- and I think it's a, it's a, you know, it's. it's what like are they in DVOA? Other- I should ask that. That they are different. Yeah, they're they're quite high. I'm gonna have to look that up quick. Um, but I, what I would say about the EPA piece is that it's it's aggregate, right? So one of the reasons that the Browns EPA is still underwater is because that disastrous game against the Steelers, and then multiple games of backup quarterback play. Their e- offensive EPA will be bad for the rest of the year, right? It's just dra- it's dra- it's dragged down. So. So what you got to do if you want to try and understand these teams a little bit better is you can't just take EPA for the season because one of the things Jake and I have been talking about for the past three months is these seasons are not a monolith. You're not the same team in September that you are in October, that you are in November, all the way through the playoffs. The Bills uh, lost to the Jets and then they put 38 points on the Raiders in week two, 38 to 10. And then they beat the Commanders 37 to three. So when you're, t- you know, then they put 48 points on the Dolphins defense that still didn't know where, the, even how to find their cleats, you know, uh, <laughs> that fourth week against, you know, in, in October. So they're putting up all these numbers and it's like, what does a, what does beating the hell out of the Raiders, Commanders and the Dolphins uh, two months ago have to do with what this team is now? Yeah. So I think to me, that's a big part of the equation, right? Yeah. Is that. EPA is also not opponent adjusted. It's a cumulative stat that's not opponent adjusted, whereas DVOA is. So when you start talking about DVOA, the fact that the Raiders have been a pretty bad defensive team gets considered when you're calculating their DVOA. To to your question, Jake, the Bills are eighth in DVOA. They are third in offensive DVOA and 21st in defensive DVOA, 22nd in um, special teams DVOA. So, I mean... Okay, but certainly not like, you know, at the top of the line. They've also played the 30th ranked schedule, so the third easiest schedule. And their schedule from here on out is the fourth uh, hardest or the, you know, the fourth strongest in the league. So I I think the story about the Bills is that they made their bones beating up on some teams early in the season. And as the competition has increased, and even in some cases hasn't because they lost to the Patriots. And the Broncos, um, who they should have beat last correct. night. Yeah, correct. Correct. Yeah. And they squeaked by the Bills 14 to 9. Or the, I'm sorry, they squeaked by the Giants 14 to 9. Yep. I, I think that I think the 
the truth of this team is that they are uh, sloppy with the ball turnovers. Their defense has gotten really bad since those injuries. And all of that has made all of the pressure go on the offense. And this offense is not efficient. They're more explosive. Yeah, I would say the biggest point there is that the blowouts skew things more yeah, than anything. Exactly. Okay. Um, here's a fun one from Caitlin knows Cleveland. Good follow. If you guys were an OCDC play caller, what would your philosophy scheme be? And maybe based on that, is there anything you would add to the Browns? I don't think I have to say any more that I would do. I just yeah. Shane Steichen's tree is where I would be. I'd yeah. be living He's in calling that area. Shane Steichen and offering him. Yeah, whatever you need, man. You tell tell yeah. me what you need. You need six hundred yeah. pages. You need a. You need me to go scout some signs. I'll mm-hmm. do that for you, man. No, I just love that offense. I love the versatility of that offense. I love how it plays into the rule book in a really fun way, allowing the one yard halo and stuff like that to put a bind on people all over the field. Like it takes the right quarterback, but also it can be maneuvered for other quarterbacks. Gardner Minshew, sup? Like, I just really love that way of playing football, and I love the simplicity of inside zone and driving a lot of what you do off of inside zone. Um, yeah, I would I would go that direction. I, I think anybody who listens to me would know that. From a DC perspective, I think we're living in it. I really love what Jim Schwartz does. I love the aggressive mixture. Now, it's not Flores cover zero craziness. We saw the talk about last night's game. We saw them... In the big moments, the Bills decided to just double up on cover zero, which was so goofy to double up on that when the Broncos don't throw the football down the field anyway. Like, I was tackling. Oh, man, it was so dumb. (laughs) I was like, they're walked up again. They got to be bailing out. Oh, my God, they did it again. Um, You know, and the funny thing about that pass interference calling people complaining about it, hey, don't get beat by six yards. Then you don't have the moment of pain. If you're in his hip pocket – then you don't have the moment of panic because you can turn and find the football when he's there. When you're chasing him to try to catch up, that's when the panic happens. So don't get beat by six yards. Like it's driving me nuts that people are like, it's a bailout call. Hey, you were beat, man. And when the moment that you were beat, you had to panic to try to find a way to catch up. And it caused you to be an, a poor player at the moment of the ball's arrival. I don't understand why that's hard for people to understand. It's not bailout ball. You were beat, brother, and that caused you to panic. That's on yeah. you, defensive back. Yep. Anyway, uh, DC, I yeah. would, I, I like what Jim does. I really do. I'm not a Fangio mm-hmm. guy by nature. Um, I don't love living in quarter, quarter, half stuff, but I think what Jim does and how he challenges his guys. Now, again, personnel driven. You got to have the right guys to do it, but the way he challenges his front to play in a free form style and his linebackers to clean up, fix, and play downhill and keep guys off of the second level and playing a bunch of man. I like playing man, and then I like sprinkling in the zone stuff off of that man-to-man baseline. So, I mean, we're living in the D.C. world I like. Not quite there on an offensive level, but I, I think they're they're moving there. They're, they're getting some of those elements that I really like to see. What about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, when I... Um... Like, I'm a wing T guy. <laughs> I just <laughs> well, want, I was thinking I about it from and... that perspective. Like, I was thinking about what I would run in the old NCAA football days when I had my dynasty. Oh yeah. And I, I did always run the ball a ton because it's just easier. Right. So I, I like, I agree with the explosive passing idea and I, you know, you want to get the ball down the field, but ultimately man, like if you have a really well designed run game that teams don't have an answer for it, I don't think there's anything more devastating in football. I mean, look at air force, right? Like I'm not saying that would ever work at the NFL level, but they just steamroll teams until they trip up once a year, inevitably, by running stuff that teams just aren't prepared for. So, 
I like that a lot. As far as like what works at the NFL level, I, I think what Jake said about Shane Steichen makes a lot of sense. I'm over here while you're talking, Jake. I'm looking at the Indianapolis Colts coaching staff to see who we could. Uh, I've done it. There's to, nobody. To see who we could steal. Wait, Jim Bob I don't know, Cooter, man. isn't he involved there or something? Well, he's the OC. I don't yeah. think you're going to get him. I mean, you, you could, but you'd have to give him play calling, which they're not going to do. Um, the names that I saw were Cam Turner, who's the quarterback's coach. Uh, and was with the Cardinals uh, under Cliff Kingsbury. So it's got some spread stuff that would apply to Watson, right? And then there's a kid named Tom Manning, who is, I shouldn't have called him a kid because he's definitely my age, um, uh, who was at Iowa State previously uh, and has this background in, in Ohio coaching and was at Mount Union for a while. Um, you know, So I think if you were trying to get somebody that had been in the room with with Shane Steichen and could kind of bring that stuff you know, there's there's some names. I mean, the other fun name is Reggie Wayne is their wide receivers coach, um, which would be heard of him before. You know, would, yeah, would, yeah, that'd be that'd be kind of a hoot. But uh, he's not going to take a a parallel role on on defense. Uh, I I was excited about Brian Flores. I I sometimes like that stuff. I think what he's done with the Vikings has been really impressive this year, considering how talent bereft they are. They've actually been pretty good on defense, and. Um, I, I like the the fact that if you can get that stuff right, yeah, they're they're eighth in in defensive DVOA right now for the season, uh, and they have. I mean, if you look at their depth chart, it is not a pretty picture. Secondary, so the especially fa- is bleak. Yeah, the fact that you can really conceal a lack of talent. Now, I think for where the Browns are, you want more of what Schwartz does because it relies on their excess of talent. But if you're trying to play like more of a you know, pirate style ball where you put all your resources into offense and then just, you know, throw together a defense with spare parts, then Brian Flores, I think might be your guy. So I think we're, you know, not surprisingly, Jake or I are in, in, in pretty similar uh, realms here, but whatever um, you're just trying to run the triple option, dude, get out of here. Well, Paul I, Johnson, what year is it? I, I, I don't, I, I don't necessarily <laughs> think it has to be the triple option. I just want to, I like a team that can run the ball. I mean, I think the thing, the thing that's so interesting about the Ravens, Jake, is they couldn't run the ball when the chips were down yesterday uh, on Sunday, and <laughs> that was not true in years past with Greg Roman. If that if that Greg Roman offense was still in place, the Ravens are running Lamar to get first downs to bleed the clock in the fourth quarter, and they had some Gus Edwards runs that went for nothing, and so I think it's 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 a little bit interesting. It's pretty cool when you're up thirty. And you're, you know, you're stunting on teams, but when you've got to put a, when you've got to put a a game away late and you don't have a reliable running game, which they, I mean, they can put it up on teams, but they do not have a reliable running game when it counts. I don't think. Well, stunning is a habit. So, you know, get like me, (laughs) if you will, you just want to run the go-go offense. That's what it is. You just want to run the gun-based triple option stuff. Gun-based triple option. Big Brennan guy. I like like it once or twice a quarter run the other team off the field with tempo like just absolutely gas them last question i love the great question by the way yeah great question um i love the dog pound push to get us in the field goal position but with all the attention on the brotherly shove i have to think the league will soon outlaw the practice do you agree from evan dawson i don't know that they're gonna outlaw it man i really i really don't i i no i don't think they can i think there's a two there's too much uh gray area there my hunch is Mm -hmm. that they're not going to do it because i think if every offense was doing it across the league that's different right but uh yeah i I don't i don't particularly think it's gonna uh i don't think it's gonna be banned 
across. I just, well, I just think, I, there, I just don't think it's there's too. Like I said, there's too much gray area, yeah. and it's not as dominant I for agree. everybody. I agree with that. I think Evan's also asking about the specific practice of like uh, linemen coming in behind the running back when the play is running, and like what happened with Ford. Oh no, they're not stuck. That's just football. They're never stopping that. Right. Right. I will but say Harrison Bryant think... much better. Yeah you know, quarterback sneak guy than I ever would have anticipated. So shout out to him. Yeah. He's not afraid to stick his nose in there. I I also think I, I kind of am suspicious that Evan maybe wanted to ask this question so that he could try and coin the phrase dog pound push. I Mm -hmm. think that's actually what's going on here. I respect that. I think dog pound. It's pretty good. good. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. As, as of the names that I've floated around, which again, like we've talked about this before, Jake, but Browns fans have a specific disease where everything cool that happens has to have a nickname mm-hmm. as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And it can't be organic. We have to, we all have to force it. We all have to like grind our brains together really hard until we come up with like a name immediately. Um, but this is a really good one. Well, I, I, I also, it's kind of funny because this is more of like an attitude play. I mean, the play was going to gain eight yards yeah. and it turned into like 12, but I think everybody mm-hmm. just really loved the attitude. It's not like, you know, there are big plays like that where maybe it's like a third and three and you you push a guy at the line of scrimmage to gain five yards on a gigantic third down or something. So it wasn't like it wasn't monumental, but I think everyone just loved the idea of like moving the Ravens, like just physically moving them in that way. So I get it. I'm not in a rush to name it, but dog pound push. If that's what we want, that's what we'll go with. Anything to add? I don't think I yeah. think we've, we've covered we've covered a lot of questions here, Andrew. Well. Yeah, there was there was one more that I want to get in because I like yeah. this question. Um, halfway through the season, what would you say the best offseason move that AB has made? And if you want to give your top three, you can. That's from Pat. Uh, best, single best offseason move, man. Oh, boy. I've got yeah, one. Go ahead. I'll think on it while you answer. Sure. Uh, to me, it's Obo Okoronkwo. Because... You know, the Zedarius Smith thing is a, is a year rental. We just talked about the defensive tackles. I mean, Tomlinson, I think, is probably up there. But Okoronkwo, from a value perspective, is so strong and he's going to be here a few years. It just, it, it, it's, to me, that's like a, it's a, it's such a cherry on top move. Or I guess technically Zedarius was the cherry on top, but Having him as the third pass rusher is just such a luxury, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think you could also say Juan Thornhill from just like, and I know Juan hasn't made a big, big mm-hmm. play yet, but just the attitude perspective uh, has been really good. I agree with that. I, I think, mm-hmm. though, man, taking the leap of faith on Dewan Jones is really, really mm. highly up there. Mm. Because, yeah, that's a good call. Because, like, if imagine, you know, and I know we saw them play without him this year, but imagine this year, which you would have been all year now playing with Hudson at right tackle. And again, there are parts of Hudson's game that are fun and nice, but not somebody that I think is ready to be out there every single week, every single play uh, without some serious concern. So like, you know, that, that taking Dewan Jones when people were a little confused about it and I don't really understand it is, is looking like a really nice move because, you know, I think we're entertaining the idea of, of Conklin struggling to get healthy and, you know, what are you doing with Jedrick Wills? Like, there's just some certainty in Dewan Jones at, at tackle that we don't have with anybody else. So that part of it is good. I think both of those are are pretty fair, man. So I know there's a lot of there's a lot of good moves there. I mean, Maurice Hurst would have to be in yeah. that group from just an underrated addition mm-hmm. perspective. Getting mm-hmm. Anthony Walker to come back, right? When they could have let him walk. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. was really good. 
you know, I don't know. I think there's a lot there, but we could probably spend a whole pod on that. But that's a good question, too. We've had enough. That's a lot of questions. We're like hour and 10 <laughs> minutes into this sucker. So uh, a lot of good stuff. Andrew, uh, appreciate you, obviously. And then I appreciate all of you guys taking the time to send these. We're getting more and more every week. Now, as the Browns get better, that would be a natural sort of situation here where we're all more hyped about this team and you guys send more and more questions. But I don't want you to feel like we don't appreciate that. That drives an entire podcast and it drives some great conversations both here and on social media. And like with what Mike sent over is going to inspire a a write-up and he will get due credit for bringing that to attention. It's cool when those sorts of things come together. So yeah, I just want to reiterate that we really, really appreciate the questions and keep those coming. And if we didn't get to your question, let me know. We'll try to get to it next time or give you a chance to ask a different question for next week that I'll make sure we get to because we want to make sure everybody feels involved. So that's a wrap on today. Go to the OBR. Take advantage of that $1 your first month. Rate and review the podcast if we can. Always appreciate those uh, rate and review situations because it helps people find this pod. And then, um, like I always say, guys, I, I, I really appreciate you driving the community and making this fun for all of us creating it as well. So shout out to you have a fantastic wednesday everybody from both myself and andrew and we close with our usual go browns everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.